Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, will Alita Battle Angels strike first at the box office? We celebrate 50 years of Sesame Street and are there just too many anti-heroes to go around? So can you tell me how to get to reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse? Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend... He is the Bachelor of Humanica Media in honor of Valentine's Day weekend. you got to check out everything going on today at HumanicaMedia.com, Humanica Media on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and so much more. It is my good friend. Hopefully he's not giving me a rose. It is Josh Peterson. What's going on, man? I uh, just voting on my perspective dates off the island, you know. Oh, wait, is that Survivor? Is this Tribal Council? How does this work? What is the what is the Bachelor? Uh, you know what? You put on this mask and you start to sing, and even though you might be like a third-rate D-list celebrity, you know what? You just go ahead and you keep singing, singing, singing until you get a rose handed to you or something like that. Right. I don't know. If I get selected by Gwen Stefani, does that mean I did good? Absolutely, and it could be worse. The Rock may ask you to go ahead and play some Titan games. But it is going to be a great episode we've got for everyone out there today. We've got a lot of great stuff to talk about, including what's going on this weekend at the box office. Rob McCallum coming up in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. No real arguments today on this time. We're just going to be celebrating 50 years of Sesame Street, what makes Sesame Street so special, and why it connects to audiences for such a long period of time. And it's such an institution when it comes to American television. Plus, also as well, we've got Marcus De La Garza talking about the upcoming 2019 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup season. Some of the favorites, some of the dark horses. In fact, I'm going to go over with him some of the odds as well that's been provided by Las Vegas. Some of the changes in teams and aerodynamics and rule changes He's going to go over all that and so much more as we cover the upcoming NASCAR season. And then also at the very end, we're going to talk just for a few minutes about the anti-hero shows that are all coming out, just like the Umbrella Academy. Also, Titans has just finished. They've also got Doom Patrol coming out. 
There's Suicide Squad 2 in development now. Watchmen's coming out. We're going to talk about all these anti-hero shows and ask, is there too much when it comes to anti-heroes? Is there going to be too much in our diet and just really the, the nuance and the actual interest level for audiences in these type of shows? Is it just going to wane after a little while because when you have all these oddball pairings after a little while, is it, does it really make sense? We're going to talk about that on the last few minutes of the show. But first off, it is definitely a Valentine's Day weekend, and we hope everyone out there has a great Valentine's Day weekend. Alita Battle Angel is already in theaters right now as we speak. It actually debuted on Valentine's Day along with several other films. Your thoughts first off, Josh, on Alita Battle Angel, based off the Japanese manga, something that's been in development forever, once upon a time, James Cameron was supposed to create and direct this film. He turned the directorial duties over to Robert Rodriguez, who's most famous for Sin City. He's still been attached as a producer while he's doing those little indie Avatar movies, you know, two, three, four, five, and goodness knows however many he's going to do. But your thoughts on Alita Battle Angel as it comes to theaters? The movie is, I guess, the reviews are mixed. Some are really positive. I noticed when I was reading, a lot of the nerdy, geeky sites are giving it more love than the general movie review sites out there. Maybe it's because they don't understand the manga, or maybe it's just because they're not really getting into it. But your thoughts on Alita Battle Angel as it hits theaters already this weekend? You know, it's funny that James Cameron is now in the business of critiquing and insulting other people's movies, yet he hasn't put anything out in like, what, five or six years? But he's he's now attached to this and also the upcoming Terminator. I think it's called Dark Fate, if I'm not mistaken, coming up later this year as well. I, I know, but have you noticed that anytime a movie does good, James Cameron has some kind of critique of it? That bothers me so much because like it's... It, like Aquaman, for example, and we start talking about how like the underwater scenes look so he's like, it doesn't look real. He, Who cares? You know, just because you didn't make something successful doesn't mean that or just because you're not behind something that people are hyped about. That doesn't mean that you have the right to insult it. And that kind of bothers me about him. And, and also his critique of the superhero movies, most importantly, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Especially that. But anyways, I digress. Alita Battle Angel, I'm going to see it on Monday. So I will have more to tell you about it next week. But, you know, I, I like the, the manga. Like, I read the manga when I was a teenager, and the manga was really good. I know there's a short-lived anime, never watched it. But it kind of reminds me of Akira, because it kind of that it came from out of that same, like, time frame that Akira came out of. So it's, you know, I, I do, I want to see it. Like, it, it looks good. I know there's controversy surrounding, like, the way she looked. We, I think we talked about this, right? Something about her eyes and stuff like that, but... Her eyes are enlarged, but that was after the first trailer. After that, people got used to it, and just basically they just got off of that issue, and now they're just really just, you know, wanted to go ahead and see if it's just something that they're interested in seeing. Well, I'm glad, because, like, it it has... Uh, Christoph Waltz is in it, and... Because movies like that, like, look at Ghost in the Shell. It, people didn't want to see that happen, right? Because it is based on a beloved manga series, or an anime, I guess. And people just did not want to see that succeed because whitewashing and stuff like that. But I haven't heard any controversy like that behind this movie. So I'm, I'm hoping that it does well because movies like this, they don't do well. People don't go out to see this kind of thing. And, you know, with talent like Robert Rodriguez behind it, who 
you know, he has a lot of jokey movies, but he's also done a lot of really good work too. So he, I, I feel like if if anyone can bring this to life in a in a way that would translate well onto screens for modern people, he would be the one to do it. And I guess you know, to despite what I just said about him, James Cameron producing and all that, the power they have behind that. And I, I really want this movie to do well. I'm not, I'm not gonna read any reviews till after I watch it, but I would like it to succeed because it looks cool, and it looks like something we haven't seen in movies yet. What are your thoughts, though? I was kind of negative when the first trailer came out, like a lot of people, and the eyes was a distraction. I'll be honest with you, but as the progressive trailers came out, it looked more and more appealing and more interesting. I think it was a very sound maneuver to actually take themselves off the December Christmas timeline that they were on initially, because this movie was initially going to be released during the Christmas holiday season. But in, I guess, a wiser maneuver, they decided to go ahead and push it back to this Valentine's Day weekend, simply because of the fact that it was just overcrowded and there was a very high chance that the same type of result would happen with that movie as what we saw with Mortal Engines, where that was a very costly movie, and it also tanked at the box office because there was so much competition for movie viewing during that period of time. It is still a very expensive movie. It's upwards of $150, $170 million production budget, so it is a very costly movie at that. The special effects look really good. As far as portraying a character, it almost has a Pinocchio-type feel in many ways, but it also goes well beyond that as it emulates the Japanese manga. So I am very interested in seeing Alita Battle Angel myself. I know it does have some issues, so don't take some young audiences to it as far as some violence and some language, I guess. So it's a very hard PG-13 from what I hear. But for anybody who's really interested in the Japanese manga or also just looking like they might see want to see something that's different, you might want to give it a chance over the course of this weekend, especially the fact that there's not a whole lot of quality, but there's a lot of quantity this weekend at the box office because we have Happy Death Day to you, the sequel to Happy Death Day, Isn't It Romantic, and also just starting out in theaters in limited fashion is Fighting With My Family from the WWE. That one actually, of all the movies, funny enough, that one is probably the highest rated at this point in time fighting with my family. But Alita Battle Angel, like I said, it depends on who you see and as far as the reviews are concerned. The scores that I'm seeing, if it's based off of general consumer places, it seems to be a little bit lower and it's trending lower than it is at, I guess, for lack of a better term, geeky or pop culture related sites where they seem to be embracing it a little bit more as far as the general rule is concerned. I, I just think Alita Battle Angel is the type of film that's a deviation from the norm. I think it should be given a chance and people should go out there to take some time to see it. I mean, there hasn't really been really good movies that have come out so far in 2019. I know we're still searching for that big reason to go to the box office. This could be something that a lot of people you know, might want to give a chance because of the fact that it is a time to go ahead and take a loved one to the theaters this weekend. So, and, and as it gets closer to President's Day, that's also something to think about as well as far as a movie option. And there isn't a whole lot of good movie options right now at the theaters. So maybe Alita Ballinger might be something that you might want to check out if given a chance. I don't think it's going to hold up for very long, especially with 
How to Train Your Dragon 3, as we'll talk about in the coming weeks, and then also other movies as well, including Captain Marvel, which is now very much on the horizon. It's less than a month away. So there you go right there. There's something that was going to hurt Alita Battle Angel's long-term outlook right there for you. But I think as far as something in the short term, if you need to go ahead and get that movie fixed in, I think Alita Battle Angel is something that you should give it a try on because we're going to definitely give it a try as well. Honestly, it's going to make me sad if this movie doesn't do well because what it what this is showing me, what the current box office trends are demonstrating is that people have boring tastes in movies. Like honestly, like this is a very original film. Yes, it's it's based on a manga, but like it still is very original compared to what is being put in theaters these days. And like if this doesn't do well, if more films like this don't do well and can't hold their own in the box office, we're going to see less of them and soon everything is going to be franchise based and we're not going to be seeing anything original and that kind of breaks my heart man well if it does not do better than the lego movie 2 which in itself was a big disappointment as far as the numbers are concerned in its first weekend at the box office then there's something right there for you as far as alita battle angel not meeting up to expectations i sincerely hope it does i hope it has good word of mouth I know so far on social media, there's been some good word of mouth on it. A lot of mutual friends that we have that have seen it have positive things to say about it. So we're going to be following suit and sharing our thoughts here on upcoming episodes to let you know if it's something that it is worth your time. But I think over the course of the four-day weekend, for many of you out there, I think you should see Alita Battle Angel as a viable option. Is it something that a lot of people are going to hopefully clamor to at the box office? We'll have to wait and see. I just know right now there's not a whole lot of competition there at the box office. And that's something I want to ask you on the air, Josh, because I clearly stated in our movie preview show back in January, which you can check out now on our Pop Culture Cosmos channel, that I said this is going to be the biggest year ever for movies. Am I still right in that assumption? Or is the declining returns with both Glass and also the Lego Movie 2, which had great expectations put upon it and not meeting them, is my assumption that this could be the biggest year in movies, maybe not be all that correct? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's not correct because we haven't seen enough movies come out yet to really solidify that claim. But with the rise of digital content, the, the landscape is changing and it's changing fast. Like, look at the way Fortnite and Apex Legends are having su- such a games like that are having such a drastic impact on gaming, you know, as, as far as like studios doing layoffs. And I know we'll, I think we talked about this a little bit before, but like with uh, Activision laying off over 800 people this week. Right. But even like, look at Netflix, you know, Netflix and Hulu, like they're, they have all this original content coming out. Hulu has exclusive things with Stephen King. Netflix has Stranger Things, like all these shows and even HBO. And people want that experience from their couch. You know, they don't want to go to the movie theaters, even though, hey, they put in recliners now. People still don't want to pay because movie prices are going up, you know, and they've been going up for a long time. So why? Are people going to go out and pay $14 or, you know, upwards of $14 to see a movie if they can just wait till it comes out, rent it from Redbox for a dollar and then sit at home in their pajamas and watch a mo- watch it? You know, I know there are some experiences that need to be had on a movie theater screen, but, you know, with digital content and like Voodoo, uh, Redbox, stuff like these services, I think we're going to see less and less people going to the movies. And it's kind of crazy if you think about it. 
And with Disney announcing that Hulu is going to be getting all the adult-oriented entertainment that is in the Fox and or Marvel and or Disney library that's out there, although Disney is really related to kids or whatnot, but they're going to be getting all the R-rated stuff and then anything PG-oriented or PG-13 oriented is going to go to the favor of Disney+. Plus. So that means they'll get all the Star Wars and the Marvel stuff, but if it's Deadpool or if it's the original cartoon Deadpool or any of the other animated series that's going to feature NSFW content, like they talked about doing a their own superhero animated universe, which, which will be NSFW, that will be located on Hulu. So the, yeah, that's something to think about right there for you as far as people not going out to the movies as much. But it's going to get a little bit cheaper for me, my friend, because that's the only good thing about turning 50 here this year. You're going to be lining up at McDonald's saying, asking for your senior coffee here soon. Can I get a coffee? Senior price, please. You, you charged me for a youthful coffee. I wanted a senior coffee. If only I liked coffee. What are your thoughts out there on Alita Battle Angel? Do you really want to go see this James Cameron produced, Robert Rodriguez directed flick? Do you really want to go ahead and check it out this weekend? Because you, you've got, for many of you out there, an extra day to go ahead and do so. Was it always on your radar? Were you just turned off by that first trailer that was out there with her eyes, the way that were constructed of the CGI and all that? Or have you seen it already and you've got good or bad things to say about it? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, before we head to the break, my friend, I know you wanted to bring up what went on this week, the latest Nintendo Direct presentation. I know there were some things you wanted to talk about, especially when it comes to Zelda and also Fire Emblem as well. Okay, well, I don't play Fire Emblem. Never really been that interested. I know they made an announcement, but you might know more about that than me. As for... um, Zelda, yeah, they announced it was a remake of Link's Awakening, I want to say. That's correct. There's going to be a Zelda Link's Awakening remake, and then they're going to be doing an update for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And then also Super Mario Maker 2 is coming on the way as well, and that's good news for a lot of people that were really like the first Mario Maker. I really thought it was a cool idea, and I think that was something that a lot of people really got into, so I can't wait to see a Super Mario Maker come to the Nintendo Switch Fire Emblem Three Houses was also announced. I know a lot of people were leading into that and were surprised by the Super Mario Maker and Zelda Link Awakening remake announcement. So there's even more good things on the way. And just Nintendo really knows how to right now. They're really on fire. They really know how to go ahead and keep feeding people's interest in regards to going ahead and just giving them little breadcrumbs that are just appetizing enough to go ahead and keep their interest And for those that don't have a Switch yet, keep their eyes perked up and just say, you know what, at some point in time, I'm going to have to break down and get me a Nintendo Switch. Yeah, Link's Awakening is coming out. Like, it looks good. You know, it's it's, it's top down. And like, Link's Awakening was one of the first, like, legitimate sequels to a Legend of Zelda game. So that's kind of cool. People are always going to want Majora's Mask remake, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But, or Ocarina of Time. You know, what else is cool is that the the Final Fantasy announcements they made, like they have nine dropped yesterday right after the Direct happened. And they're putting out, um, I want to say seven's coming out next month. It's coming out in March. And then Final Fantasy 10, 10, 2's come and 12 are coming out in April. So they're doing a good job of uh, catering to to what fans want. And it's also like 
I don't want to say that the Switch is like a glorified remake machine, but it's good for playing those games, like those games we grew up playing. And, you know, you always think to yourself, I would go back to play, but I don't want to sit in front of my TV and play something that doesn't hold up according to today's standards. So the Switch is good for doing stuff like that. And you can kind of take it on the go, play it wherever you want to. There's some things lined up. March, we got Yoshi's Crafted World. April's no major releases, but there's a Smash Bros. update. May, nothing announced. June, we got Super Mario Maker 2. July, Fire Emblem, Three Houses, and Dragon Quest Builders 2. August, we got Astral Chain, that new game by the creators of Lost Sphere. What did you think of that? I thought it was okay. I, I mean, I wasn't overly impressed by it, but it's something that, given some time, could be something that a lot of people could get into. I, I can see that. Okay. And then they they did say Bayonetta 3 still coming out. And then we got Summer, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, and Damon X Machina. And then still coming out likely for Falls, Animal Crossing, Luigi's Mansion 3, Pokemon, and uh, the Legend of Zelda game. So they they do have some stuff in their pocket, but I there's still I feel like there still needs to be a major announcement. I don't know. There hasn't been anything really teased for that's bit because what last last fall they had Mario Aces Tennis, Mario Party pokemon let's go there there were some big games and you know the year before and of course got, super smash uh, super smash yeah and then before that they had the uh, mario odyssey and something big is coming out that they haven't told us about yet i believe that they're saving it for june and e3 so that makes sense a lot i know something that we talked about earlier is june enough time to go ahead and show off and present first your game coming up on november or december for Nintendo, I think they can go ahead and get by with it because the fact that their you know their Switch is so hot right now, I think that's enough time for people to get excited and go ahead and it'll still sell really well this holiday. For other games, it may not be the same. They may need like a year or two two years ahead of lead time as far as trying to go ahead and get that promotional chain started. But for big name titles that we know Nintendo is coming out with and has to keep coming out with to keep the Nintendo Switch selling the way it is. They're going to have to go ahead and keep on shouting out those big names. And I think they're going to do so right around E3. What's your thoughts out there on the latest Nintendo Direct presentation? Let us know on our social media, Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanica Media. Well, coming up next, we've got Mr. Rob McCallum. He's coming right back at us in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. He's going to be talking about 50 years of Sesame Street and why it has endeared so long and why it has touched so many of us for 50 years. This is the PCC Multiverse. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speedrun, or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. 
He is the man behind Rob McCallum Films and in front of as well, as he would say. You got to check out everything going on at robmccallumfilms.com. Also as well, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. He's all over the place. Rob McZob. You got to find him. He's out there and he's posting a lot of great new content because he's got a lot of great things to announce. It is my good friend. It is Rob McCallum. So pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? 2019 marks the 50th anniversary of Sesame Street. Of course, we'll have to wait until November to actually hit the 50 years. And, you know, it's come across a lot of huge competition, and it's had spinoffs and its uh, duration. But the big question I wanted to ask you, Gerald, is what do you think uh, it's what, – what's the big reasons it's endured? Is it the funding that they've had? Is it the guests, the topics, the Muppets, the blend? Why do you think Sesame Street has been a mainstay for 50 years other than The Tonight Show and I think one or two other programs? It's 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 in the top four of longest running shows of all time. I think Gunsmoke may, may have had more more time on it. Although The Simpsons with two more season renewals is is still in the, in the works, although 19 years behind. And that'll reach 700 episodes by, I think, the end of the latest two-year, two-season add-on that they just got. Yeah. But when it comes to Sesame Street reaches children in a way I've seen no other show do. I mean, there are other shows that come and go that kids get into, kids get out of very easily here and there. But Sesame Street seems to be that show that gets kids at a very young age into going ahead and being experienced things. And the fact that it teaches along the way is just truly outstanding. And that also comes into play when you're a parent, because as a parent, you're not ashamed to show your kids Sesame Street. And you actually go ahead out of your way to to make sure that they go ahead and check out Big Bird and the entire gang there, because it is something that gets kids started off on the right note as a addition to what they should be learning already with books, with other experiences that that help them learn and help them grow. Their funding, it's funny because I was reading articles and about their upcoming 50th anniversary that touched upon that the funding hasn't always been there. And at one time they were in danger of actually losing the show and the show folding up because of a lack of funding. So that has been touch and go all over the place. But now that they're in their type of what is it, pseudo programming, whether I think on HBO and also PBS. Is that correct? At some point in time there, they have yeah. like delayed versions that are now shown on PBS and then HBO will be getting the... Uh... HBO already gets the, the newest episode. So in order to to check out the newest releases, you basically have to be an HBO subscriber, but they still trickle down to, to PBS as part of the deal. And of course, their other main funding uh, revenue stream is in licensing. Yeah, overall, absolutely. overall, it's said that they made about they make about a hundred million dollars a year. But you're right; at one point, they they were almost bankrupt and and had to let it go. And and that's the part I think the longevity of it, as far as not just the funding of it, but just the belief of parents that are out there that, like you said, they buy the merchandise, they go ahead and they show their kids at a very young age this awesome property because there's so many things kids can learn upon as far as you know letters. Uh, expressions, sentences, addition, subtraction, just just the basics that gets them started off on a right path. And there's been no other show that really does it as well as Sesame Street. And I think that's why it's uh, been around so long. And I think that's why it's going to continue to be around uh, for a long time to come. 
And there's there's such a timeless nature about how they handle stuff. And it's not just the ABCs and the one, two, threes, like you were saying, expressions, emotions, situations, whether it's, you know, the damage that a hurricane can do to Sesame Street or or the death of somebody like Mr. Hooper or topics like divorce or marriage or racism. These are all things that have always been a part of the show since day one, as things happen to the, the human actors on, on Sesame Street, they would get filtered into the show because they're, they're talking points. You know, I was showing an episode of classic Sesame Street to, to my son and daughter today, and they loved it. They didn't realize or seem to really care that it was from the 70s. And you could look at, you know, what people were wearing and even the production values uh, of, of the different segments and the different spots and could tell that, you know, Ernie and Bert looked different or the fact that this was shot on film versus you know, broadcast and something like a newer episode would have Elmo's world and a lot of green screen. It doesn't matter. There's a, there's a timelessness to the way that they handle material. So you can jump back and forth and, and it doesn't matter. It's gentle in so many of the shows that are out there today, trying to teach the ABCs and, you know, the importance of teamwork and cooperation seem to really try to hammer home this idea of stakes. And if we don't do this, then it's going to be a big problem. And I think subtlety is a part of it too. It doesn't beat you over the head with it. It just goes ahead and teaches you in a subtle manner as far as those basics and those expressions yeah, and those emotions and, of what you're talking about. And that's what I mean. Like all these new shows really try to amp up the stakes. Like Paw Patrol, it's like if we don't find Chicoletta, you know, it's going to be the end of our town. And it's like, oh my God, I better do this. And like it gives me anxiety if they don't do it. And sure, it hooks the kids and they want they want a good happy ending. But like you said, there's a subtleness to the things that occur on Sesame Street. Like, it's okay to breathe and just figure it out together and just kind of sit back and understand the differences and the different options without being in a pressure situation. And I think that's missing from a lot of content. And this is something that, you know, the producers of Sesame Street over the last five decades have always been really good at developing. And I think there's a, a huge emphasis on character that these other shows don't have. I think the other shows, while they have good, strong characters, don't have the timelessness of these characters that they have, especially with the interaction between the Muppet characters and the human characters. Once again, it is Rob McCallum, the director of Action Figures, the most powerful toy in the universe. You got to check all the info out as it becomes available on robmccallumfilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, at Rob McZob, not Pokey Rob, but at Rob McZob on Twitter, and so much more. Rob, it's always great to have you on the show. Great to have you on the Pop Culture Cosmos. And of course, right here in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Marcus De La Garza previewing NASCAR this year. Coming up next, right here on the PCC Multiverse. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films.
All right, we're back to the show. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. The sounds and the engine roars are coming back alive again for 2019. It's that time again for auto racing fans all over, but especially NASCAR fans, because this weekend starts the Great American Race, the Daytona 500 2019 version, and it kicks off the great Monster Cup energy racing that everybody knows as NASCAR. So many years dictated by so many great individuals out there. And But last year, Joey Logano in the final race, pretty much uh, on some of the final laps, took home the victory and took home the championship in a very hotly contested NASCAR playoff. But hopefully 2019 will be just the same. And here to break down the NASCAR season with me is someone who did a tremendous job last year. He's back once again. It's Marcus De La Garza. Marcus, great to have you back on the show. Great to be back as always, Gerald. I'll tell it. you what. Oh, thank you so much again. Just truly appreciate it. I know you're excited already. This is like you said, your time of year. Everything gets started. It gets amped up. You're just so excited to go ahead and see what's going on. First off, there's always a musical chairs when it comes to the driver changes. And there's always this driver goes here. This driver goes there. Sponsorship deals, changes as far as expectations are concerned. Some got changed or moved because of of certain finishes. Some got moved up because of where they finished in the season. Your thoughts on some of the driver changes that took place out there? Like I said, some were out of necessity and some were just for the sake of change. Right. We had seven big driver changes this offseason and one crew chief change that is of note. And, and there's more crew chief changes that happen, but one really big one that stands out. To start with the drivers, though, let's look at Daniel Suarez, former driver of the 19 Toyota Camry for Joe Gibbs Racing. He's moved over to the 41 Ford for Stuart Haas Racing because Kurt Busch, who previously drove that car, moved over to the number one Chevy for Chip Ganassi Racing. So this is a huge start to the season. That and some lot. of this is tied into sponsorship because if a certain driver has a certain sponsor, it's more appealing if they jump to maybe a different type of team or a better team because they might have that sponsorship tied to that specific driver. Exactly. So Kurt Busch has Monster as his big sponsor, who is the title sponsor for the series. Daniel Suarez has Eris. They make modems and whatnot. And so it looks like Daniel Suarez is going to be bringing Eris with him, if not this year, next year to Stuart Haas Racing. And that's a big move right there for both drivers, actually. I agree with you there because you see a lot of these champions from different divisions. They come up and they do struggle upon their entry. And whether it's because of the team that they're with, because of the car that they're given, maybe they're not the the lead car as far as given the most, as far as the best opportunity to win or the, with the right team or whatnot. It's not always the right fit. You're right on that. And that happens with Daniel Suarez, maybe. And also some of the other young drivers that are out there that are looking to burst through just like Joey Logano did last year. Yeah, and and I will say we had Corey LaJoy on our podcast last year, driver of the number 32 Ford Go Fast Racing car this year. And Corey LaJoy was a great guy to have on and asking him some of the questions about, you know, is the jump really that extreme from the Xfinity Series to the Monster Cup Series? The man put it very clearly for us, uh, said that it's night and day. You're driving an entirely different machine. So the success you saw at the Xfinity level, the truck level is not going to transfer or translate right away. So, uh, and, that, and that's fair. And that's fair. And like you said, sometimes it's all about being in that right spot in the right team and getting exactly. the right equipment in place. I mean, 
the the skill level between the 43 drivers there's not much difference in skill in my opinion there's subtle changes subtle things that are different subtle specialties that each driver brings to the table but the overall skill level if you have a car that's really rocking i'm pretty sure a good majority of those drivers can take it home as far as on a weekly basis or have consistently high finishes if they were given each the same type of material, let's say like a Joey Logano was last year, or even a Kevin Harvick who won so many races last year. Absolutely. And let me run through these last few drivers real quick. And I want to get to the aerodynamic changes we're making, because I think that evens the playing field here uh, when we're talking about NASCAR and the parody within the sport. Just real quick, Daniel Hemrick is taking over the number eight Chevy for Richard Childress Racing. That number is now full-time. It used to be the 31 car. They've switched over to the eight. Big deal here. The eight hasn't run full-time in many, many seasons. Martin Truex got ousted from the 78 Toyota because that team shut its doors. He's taken over the 19 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing, formerly Suarez's car. Matt D. Benedetto, he's a people's favorite, leaving the 32 Ford at and joining the 95 Levine Family Racing Toyota. And that's a manufacturer change for that team as well, which is a huge deal. We'll see them go through some growing pains. Corey LaJoy, 72 Chevy, moved over to the 32 Ford that Matt DiBenedetto left open at Go Fast Racing. And the big one here that we need to touch on, and I think you'll get a kick out of this one, Chad Knauss leaving the 48 team. Not going to be the crew chief for Jimmy Johnson any longer. Now he's moving on to the young gun, William Byron, on the 24 team for Hendrick Motorsports. And this was something that I think you both, you and I both heard during the course of the period last season where it just started to deteriorate as far as that relationship between Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson and their results did not have what they, they were looking for last year. And it could be a fresh new start for both. Obviously, it's been great for William Byron because he's sitting on the pole, I believe, when it comes to the Daytona 500 he race is. coming up this Sunday. What do you know? Uh, although, when it comes to Daytona 500, as you've seen with the different aerodynamic changes and whatnot, it's pretty much like the, the restrictor plates races. They're pretty much a free-for-all. It's when you get down to the, the mid-level tracks, the short tracks, that's where you see the different types of drivers that you have there. Although, you mentioned Matt Benedetto. If you got $5 on him, my friend, that's ten grand for you if he happens to win and actually has something, a season worth for the making. I so. think the man had a career best finish at Daytona last year, and he's if he can just stay out of the big one, he might be in position to, to have another top 10 or even a, a career finish. There you uh, go. 2,000 to 1, 2,000 to 1. But yeah. I digress. You wanted to talk about a lot of the aerodynamic changes that were out there, my friend, including the new Ford Mustang. So... Tell me your thoughts on all the aerodynamic changes that that are going on. Plus, also, which car do you feel might have the biggest advantage? All right. So let's start with the Ford Mustang, uh, and we'll get to the aero package changes right after that. Ford Mustang being introduced this year in the Cup Series, it's ran for the last two years or three years in the Xfinity Series, and it's going to be a beautiful body uh, to see in the Cup Series now. We're leaving the Fusion body, going on to the Mustang, and it's one of those things that... The first, I don't know, it might take five to 10 races for them, for the teams to figure out what changes they need to make under the body of the car to the body of the car to make sure that they're, they're getting the best efficiency uh, as far as aerodynamics goes. So we might not see the early dominance that we saw out of Kevin Harvick last year. However, by mid season, he might be in peak form again and, and dominating races. With that said, 
I would look at the Chevys this year for possible domination. We're seeing it already out of the qualifying. We saw the Hendrick guys all sitting up near the top, and we didn't see it at the first duel. For those who don't know, qualifying happens at Daytona, and it only sets the front row, number one and number two. And then everything after that, depending on where you qualified, if you were even number or an odd number, you run a second. And so all the evens run together, all the odds run together. And depending on how you finish in that second race determines where you start for the Daytona 500. And so looking at the results from the first duel tonight for the odd racers, Kevin Harvick won. He, he should be starting number three. Is that not right, Gerald? I believe that is correct. Yes, the winners of the duels, they go three, four. And then it's uh, I believe after that is based off of speed, if I'm not mistaken. Is it speed or is it finishing in the duels? Oh, I'm no, not it's, sure. It's it's finishes. It's finishes. Yeah, You're right. To, yeah. And then I think the last five, depending on how many entrants there are, the last cars do not qualify for the event unless they have a speed. Like let's say somebody blows an engine that was higher up as far as speed is concerned. Some of those do get a chance to go ahead and, and supplant those that are just in it just for that specific race. And obviously NASCAR caters more to individual teams and cars that are going to be there on a full season basis as opposed to ones that are just going to be there on a limited or singular time like like we've a little seen one before. off race yeah exactly exactly so yeah there, there's always a preference in that and then also based off of last year's performance as well so i think that right. that also carries in but when it comes to the daytona 500 my friend you all know as you and i both know it's all about drafting partners aerodynamics who's going to be there at the end, avoiding the accidents, and it's a free-for-all at the end, and being at near the top, the top, what, three, five in, in those closing laps, so you can go ahead and you get that draft and get that push in there. I'm not sure about three or five. I, I just watched uh, the replay of the 2010 Daytona 500 finish where Jamie Mack won, Jamie McMurray, who is not running a full season this year, but he is running, running the Daytona 500. Dale Jr. started in 10th or 11th place on the restart with two to go, finished in second place. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that somebody could come from outside the top 10 and, and really make a strong finish there. There's a lot going on when it comes to Daytona 500 and for the rest of NASCAR season as well. But the post-race inspection changes, which you and I both over the years have seen is somewhat laughable, some you know, like, uh, slap on the hand here, slap on the hand there. But you said that's changing. Yeah, and to kind of build off of what you've said, you know, the in the years past, we've had guys, it's a label that gets put on their win if if they if they're found to fail post-race inspection, it's called encumbered. And the NASCAR community has since joked and called it the cucumber of a win. <laughs> and uh it's always funny to hear somebody got cucumbered in the middle of the season. You kind of sit there and you go, "Well, what what, the, what does that mean?" But there's going to be no more cucumbering. We are actually going to be taking away wins and guys will be moving up in the charts depending on how they finish. So say number one or the guy that finishes first place fails post-race inspection, which will be occurring within two hours of finishing the race on site. Used to be that the cars went back to NASCAR R&D for teardown and, and, and you know inspection. It's actually going to happen at the racetrack this year, which is brilliant. I mean, let's let's get to the answer sooner if we can. And, and that's what NASCAR is doing. So uh, wins will be taken away and uh, guys will be fine and guys will be suspended. And I don't see us not having something like this happen this year. Uh, and I believe you on that. And I, I've seen that as I have a feeling that's going to happen because of the fact that 
you're dealing with millions and millions of dollars advertising sponsorship. You're dealing with millions of dollars when it comes to race packages, prize winnings, and team uh, obligations and things of that nature. So the temptation to try and tweak the car, the temptation to try and get that little edge out of there, because these cars in reality are so close together on speed, that, that temptation to just tweak that car, especially when it comes to the top uh, top teams that are out there, the temptation to tweak that car just a little bit that might not be in the in the gray area or might actually be beyond it is very great. And I expect something of that nature at least once, if not twice, to finally get the message in there to the drivers that, hey, this is not hunky-dory anymore. Absolutely. it's It's really putting the responsibility back on the drivers and the crew chiefs to make sure that what they're fielding on race day is compliant with the rules. But I think it's going to be a great season, just like you. And I want to go ahead and just break down some of the things. Since I'm here in Vegas, I want to go ahead and talk about some of the odds that are out there as far as who's the favorite. So, you know, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex, Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, who won last year, those are some of the top favorites there. Clint Boyer, Eric Jones, Eric Amarola, they're all in the mix as far as, uh, you know, in the 25 to 1 ratio. Danny Hamlin, I think, is a little bit low at 25 to 1. Kurt Busch at 25 to 1. Those are a little long odds for me. I think those are names that, that can still go ahead and, and provide a, a quality win or two here and actually be in contention for a championship. I was going to say, the only thing that concerns me about Hamlin and and uh, Kurt Busch is both of them have new crew chiefs and essentially new teams for the year. So uh, this first race might not go as well as they want it to. No, no. But as you and I've seen, all it takes is just to run maybe during the course of the middle of the year oh, yeah. towards the end, you know, maybe July, August, you know, in that range. And you know what? That can change a whole season for you real quick. I mean, Kevin Harvick dominated a great portion of last year. So your thoughts on a favorite this year, as far as if you had to go pick one or two, who do you think is going to go ahead and at the end of the day in what I still believe in Homestead in a track that I'm not exactly in love with as far as ending the season on, I think it'd probably be better on a more challenging racetrack or a more high speed or exciting racetrack to finish your season on. But all right, I get it. Homestead needs some love. Your thoughts on who might win the trophy for the entire season from the Monster Energy Cup? You know, it's this is like trying to predict the Super Bowl in uh, week three of the preseason. But I will I go know, ahead. I know, but, but we're here doing it anyways. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And we wouldn't have it any other way, I don't think. But I would say there's two drivers in my mind that I think we need to keep an eye on all season. Kyle Busch, number one. And the other one you really need to be looking at is Kyle Larson. I mean, he struggled a lot of last year. However, I will say I think he's got a little more funding coming this year, which means a better ride at each race, which means we might be seeing Kyle Larson run that top line at a lot of racetracks this year. And that's good. When you have that top funding, that top level funding, it's all about consistency at a continuous level each and every race, top three, top five, no no worse than the top 10 each and every time. You're the one that they're always talking about and not just at a specific race or a specific specialty as far as, okay, he's just a road racer or he's yep. just a short track guy. You want to get into that conversation where you're a threat each and every week and you're saying he's going to get over the hump and that's good to see as far as for Kyle Larson fans out there. We talked about the favorites and 
your thoughts on maybe some dark horses you think people should keep an eye on or maybe put some action on as well? I would say, and this is going to sound crazy, but he finished second at the Daytona 500 last year, Bubba Wallace Jr. I have a feeling he might just be a great plate driver, uh, and, and it might come down to he might just be a great Daytona driver. He stayed out of it for the most part last year. If he can do the same this year, he's going to put himself in a position to finish the race in the top five this year. However, we know that it all comes down to luck, so we'll see if Bubba Wallace is still there. Matt DiBenedetto is another name you start looking at. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. had a little trouble at the plate tracks last year. I wouldn't call him a dark horse, but uh, he's going to be there to shake things up as well. Okay. All right. I mean, like I said, if, if you're really a, a big Matt DiBenedetto fan or a Darrell Wallace Jr. fan, they're 2,001 odds to win the 2019 Monster Energy Cup. So <laughs> temptations there. And that's that's from the Westgate in Las Vegas. So I know sports betting is available around the U.S. now. So if you've got a local bookie down there or a local casino, you'd like to go ahead and do some sports betting on and. Those odds can't be much different. It might be time to invest $5 in it. What do you know? You never know. It might come in. For me, I think some dark horses a little bit closer to that, although not much more, when it concerns Ryan Newman. He's moving to Roush. I know it Ooh, might be like, like a long shot. He's the 301 right now listed at Westgate. He does have the experience. It's all a matter of, I think, him having a team that will go ahead and put him at the forefront each and every race. So it's about consistency. Will he find that consistency like he found at an earlier portion of his career? We'll have to wait and see, but he is very tempting at a 301 shot right now. And then last but not least, you know, how can I avoid this one? At 30 to 1, Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, I know yeah, Chad Knauss is no longer there, but maybe the change is good in this case, and maybe it'll work out best to give him a new shot of adrenaline because I think if that doesn't do it, maybe it's time for Jimmy Johnson to go the way of what most of the NASCAR veterans do around his age and maybe do some part-time stuff, maybe you know just specialty-type racing or whatnot because if it doesn't work for out for him this year, with a new outlook on a new team as far as he's still with Hendrick racing, but with Chad Canals gone. And if this shot of adrenaline does not work out for him, then I don't know what will, but he's 30 to one. Those are some pretty good long odds. So if you got $5 on that, you never know. And old man, Jimmy, you can't write him off. It's, it's one of those things. He's got all the talent uh, in the world. He's been there before. He's been there seven times before, let's be honest. And it's one of those names that you don't want to look over. So He, he won the clash on Saturday night or Sunday night, whenever that was. Well, there you go. There you go. That's a great start. Could mean some great things for people out there, especially if they want to go ahead and look at those odds. Again, those are the odds provided by the Westgate here in Las Vegas. Any last thoughts, my friend? You've just been so tremendous as you were, like I said, last year. I'd like to get you on more this year, but that's all up to you. I hope you will take the time to do so. But before we head on out, I'd love to hear some final thoughts on the 2019 season here at the Monster Energy Cup known as NASCAR. Well, I am very happy to say that the Pop Culture Cosmos family will be delighted to see me back, or maybe they won't be delighted to see me back. We'll see how it goes. But I will be back to give you guys updates throughout the season. And the last things I want to tell you guys about is there was a big aero package change for NASCAR this year. Aerodynamically, they've integrated a taller spoiler on the back end of the cars. It's gone from two and a half inches to eight inches. 
that's going to create a whole bunch more downforce. Longer front splitter went from about a quarter of an inch over to about two inches longer, more downforce out of that one. And we're getting rid of restrictor plates, which that sounds like, oh my gosh, we're you know approaching the inevitable here, but we're not really, we're introducing, it's called a tapered spacer. So tapered spacer is about an inch, inch and a half thick, and it's got conical holes in it so that the air isn't just hitting that plate and being disturbed. It's kind of being funneled through the plate and uh, into the engine. So you'll see the uh, horsepower reduction at the plate tracks with that tapered spacer. The Daytona 500 will be run with the restrictor plates that are tried and true, but everything after that will be moving to the tapered spacer. That's what all the aero changes are, are doing for us here is, you know, adding the tapered spacer, changing the spoiler and and moving some of the duct work under the cars. We're going to see better racing. It's going to be a little easier to drive on the mile and a half tracks throughout the year. We'll see a better racing product. We've seen a few drivers come out and say that these cars are getting a little bit too easy to drive. Uh, but I don't buy that argument always. So we'll see how get things the, shake Get them out. in the chain of 43 cars and let's see if their perspective changes. Exactly, exactly. So Sunday will be the tell-all for everything. And I tell you what, two weeks from now, we'll, we'll really see what's going on when we get to Atlanta. I think that's why they want to keep NASCAR as competitive as it is, where there's at least on any given race, 10 to 15 different vehicles that can win the race as feasibly. And on the restrictor plate racing, you've still got a chance to have upwards of 30 cars that can actually go ahead and get it done, depending on the right type of circumstances. So I think that that still is what appeals to NASCAR when people just tell you, oh, if they just turn left, turn left. They do a lot more than that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Marcus, it's just been awesome again having you here. I'm just so excited for the NASCAR season like you are. The Monster Energy NASCAR Cup season on its way, starting with Daytona this weekend. And again, you know what? I'm so happy the fact that you will come on anytime you choose to give us reports of what's going on in the NASCAR season. Because you know what? The more time I spend with you and all the other guests, the less time I have to spend with Josh on the show. <laughs> Of course, I will be back for you guys, Gerald. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome indeed. And once again, it's so great to have you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Whoop, whoop. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. If you need a listing of all our shows and where they're being played at, because we're on radio stations all around the world, best place to check is our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. There's a listing right there for you. It's also on our social media at Instagram and also Twitter as well. Or if you just want to go ahead and check it out on one of your favorite podcast catchers, it has a list of many of those options as well. And we also want to let everyone know, speaking of podcast options, on Wednesday, Josh and I recorded some stuff that we weren't going to be able to address on this show right here. So there's a PCC Extra 
touching on the video games hitting this week, including Far Cry New Dawn, Crackdown 3, and Metro Exodus. Plus, we talk about the Disney trailers, including Frozen 2 and also Aladdin and Sony and E3. So if you want to check it out, it's over a half hour of pop culture cosmos goodness. It's the PCC Extra, and it dropped already this past Wednesday and is available to listen right now on any of our podcast outlets. Josh, I know you got a great thing going on with Humanica Media, so share the goods, my friend. What's going on with Humanic Media? You can catch part one of the Top Gocalypse Award show out now. The second part will be up this weekend. And don't forget that's Humanica Media at humanicamedia.com, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as well. So my friend, before we head it on out, I wanted to get your thoughts on all this anti-hero stuff that's coming together as far as James Gunn is developing Suicide Squad 2, which is, I guess, the quintessential mix mash of anti-heroes as far as that's concerned. Watchmen is coming back. I also talked to you about the Umbrella Academy. DC's Titans just finished its season with Robin shouting F-bombs everywhere at everybody. And then you have the Doom Patrol, which is actually getting a lot of good pub that's out there. But as these groups continue to go ahead and start appearing either on a movie or television format, the novelty of the anti-hero that has to suddenly go ahead and save the day, that, that just once that gets repeated over and over and over, it loses its effectiveness. So I ask you, at some point in time, do you think we're going to have enough of these anti-heroes? And is it coming close to that time already? I don't think so. Because I, I, like, I feel like anti-heroes are more human and more relatable. And I don't really see them going anywhere anytime soon. And I'm actually really excited to see them because it, it's basically you know, average, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I think that's a good theme when it comes to, to comic books. And it's it's inspiring if you think about it. It just, to me, when does it come to the point where too much is too much? And everybody's trying to do the same thing, DC, Marvel, or whatever outlet or station or channel or production company is just doing the same type of thing where these individuals are put together or mixed-mashed for some odd reason and then going ahead and save the universe, save the world, or save the day in some form or fashion, and they really don't want to, or they got to crack some one-liners on the way out. To me, it's just something where you have to show me that I really need to care about these individuals, even though they don't care about themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it from that perspective. But again, like it's when you look at it from the perspective of the average person, look at people when it comes to love. Okay, we're talking about it's Valentine's Day, right? So let's talk about love for a minute. You have people who have that thing where they they accept the love they think they deserve, right? We don't, none of us think that we deserve things. So none of us. And we always feel like we're beyond saving, right? So we don't have a chance to do things that we should just be able to do. So it's kind of a, you know, just like in real life, the the anti-hero is a story of, of self-redemption and learning to rise above your own circumstances, depression, mental health, like all that stuff. Like, I think that that's a very powerful message. And if it's portrayed correctly and not bulldozed over, it has the potential to create very powerful characters. Let's hope it does for the Umbrella Academy and also Doom Patrol, which are on the way. What are your thoughts out there on what's going on with these anti-hero shows and the anti-hero groups? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, just want to thank Rob McCallum for stepping into the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire once again. And also Marcus De La Garza for coming back to us once again and sharing his thoughts on the upcoming NASCAR season. 
Any last thoughts on the way out? Yeah, actually, I've been playing Resident Evil, and I gotta be honest, man, that game is terrifying. That game scared the crap out of me as a kid, and it is just as scary as it was when I was a kid. But the difference is, instead of a bunch of pixelated zombies, everything looks extremely real. And you hear glass breaking, and you're looking around trying to figure out where this noise is coming from. You turn around, and then boom, there's a zombie in your face. It is horrifying, but I love it. It's fun. But that's Resident Evil 2, the remake, correct? Yeah, the Resident Evil 2 remake. Ah, that's good. That's good. Something to go ahead and play during the lovely Valentine's Day weekend. And I'll send you off with this, you know, as far as being at that time of the year. The love boat soon will be making another run. All right, now that I've sent everybody away, I guess. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. And happy Valentine's Day weekend, everyone. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Hey, it's Sean from the Soul Forge podcast. Join me and the gang as we guide you through the adventures of living. Topics include sex, loss, joy, and stupid things we've done for love. It's life, the universe, and everything. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the ESO Network, soulforgepodcast.com, and everywhere else you find podcasts. The Soul Forge podcast. Let's find out together. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.